Hear the word of the Lord from John 6, 1 through 15. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large, large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread, so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Justin, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church. It's my joy to be with you this morning. And Lord willing, we are four weeks away from being in our new building. Yes, uh, this past week was another great week over at the building. The ceiling has now almost been completed. Um, we chose to go with a wood ceiling with a ton of lights, uh, 94 lights to be exact, uh, as you entered the building. And we wanted, we wanted to do that because we wanted your eyes to be drawn upward and off of yourself immediately when you enter into our building. That we want our building itself to testify to the surpassing glory of God. And the whole point of the building is for us and for others to get our eyes off of ourselves and up on God. So the ceiling is about 90% finished and it looks great. And I just got to sit there this last week and take a picture and look at it and be pleased. I just in, I'm just enjoying it. It's so good to see it all come together. The drywallers are finished and most of the sanding has been done. They're going to finish it up in a couple days this week. The carpet layers have finished in the sanctuary. We've also um, agreed, if, I don't know if you know this, but we've agreed to allow New City Classical Academy to use our space in the new uh, um, as a new school this year. They're going to use the basement. So they were having an in-service all week, getting all of their stuff set up. And man, like I said, it's just been another great week, and to God be the glory. So let me give you the plans that we've got for these next few weeks. After this Sunday, we have three more weeks here in the Junior Theater. Here's the issue. We need to get some of our stuff over there and installed and set up uh, before we move. So one week, we won't have projectors in here, and we will print off bulletins for everyone to read the lit liturgy and sing along. We need to get the projectors moved over there, set down. Joel is just excited to be 35 feet up in the air on a, a lift that makes you, you know, call out to Jesus every time you're up there, okay? So we got to get those over there. So one week we're going to have bulletins. You're going to come in. Everybody's going to get a bulletin. Uh, you're actually going to need that in order to know our liturgy and read our, or sing our songs. The last week we are in here, um, at the Junior Theater, we are also going to have limited kids' classrooms, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different. That's September 17th. September 17th, we will only have nursery and toddlers' classes. Everyone else will be in here with us. We're trying to get a couple classrooms moved over there that week, so we're not cramming everything in that last week. Also on the 17th, here's a big one. 
Also on the 17th, we are only going to have one service here and it's going to be at 9.30 a.m. You hear that? If you show up at 10.30, we're all gonna know it, okay? We're all gonna be know it. You'll still be on, on, on time for the next part of our gathering. Here's what we're doing. We wanna worship together at 9.30 a.m. and it's going to be a little packed. Right now, you look around, there's a lot of people in here. There was a lot of people in our first service. Right now in here, this is about, I don't know, 25% of our church. A third of our church worships together in the cottages down there. We got two cottages for our kids in both services, right? So we have typically we have an 830 service. We have a 1030 service. We got kids down in the cottage. We're all gonna worship together in one service, 930. It will be packed. It might be, it could possibly be standing room only in here. But here's the deal. I'd like everyone, this, this most of you already do, but I'd like everyone to wear their casual clothes that Sunday. And here's what we're going to do. As soon as the service is over, we're going to load up all of our, all of this stuff up here that we load up, that little, you know, little spiritual elves just set this up every single week. It just happens. You guys get here and this is just all set up. Where does it come from? It's like manna from heaven. God just drops it down every Saturday night. It gets set up. And then people, little elves tear it down every week. No, not this week. We're going to tear it all down. We're going to load it into some trailers. We're going to take all the front of house stuff, the, what's left over in the kids, kids' cottages. We're going to load it into a trailer. We're going to haul it over to our new building. We're going to have pizza over there for everybody. It should only take us an hour, I would think. Load it up, bring it over to the new building, have pizza for everybody, and then we're, we're going to unload it, and that's going to give us a jump start on our week because we will only have six days to get the rest of the building all put together so that we can worship together on the 24th, Lord willing, right? Now I say Lord willing because we have a lot to do still. There are contractors that still need to do work. There, um, there are inspectors that still need to show up and be gracious, please, you know, like, we, there's a lot of things that need to happen. So I'm, I'm really hoping we can get in on the 24th. So please be in prayer for us as we are coming now to this um, home stretch. These are tentative plans and I don't like tentative plans. I like hard and fast black and white plans. I was joking this week that I've been a kind and gracious contractor for like three and a half months. And now people's feet are about to get held to the fire, Okay. Uh, we're, we've got, we've got, a, we, our lease is up in here on the 17th. Okay. So that's the, that's the details that we've got to, to, uh, we got to get a lot of details together before we can get in on the 24th. So that's, what's that? Do the tent again. No, I don't want to do the tent again. I'm over tents for a while. Uh, but we might, if you never know what could happen. So please, 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 please be in prayer for us. As we are wrapping up this huge project, and man, to God be the glory, and we we're look, really looking forward to what God's going to do in our new building. Well, let me pray for us and ask the Lord to bless our time together in his word. <clears throat> Father, we, we just thank, we just, we're very thankful to you that you, in your providence, give us exactly what we need. We don't know what we need. We know what we want most of the time. We don't know what we need, but you know what we need. And so we want to... to um, just present ourselves as your children to your providence and just thank you for where you've gotten us. We thank you for this new building. We thank you for all the work that's been done to get us into the building, all the generous giving, all the hard work that's been put in at the building. And we pray that you'd help us get it, get it wrapped up here in the next few weeks. Lord, we also want to pray right now um, for Isla Galliard as she's continuing to fight this cancer in her body. We entrust her to you. We entrust the family to you. We ask that you would bring everything they need for life and godliness. Bring the faith, bring the trust, bring the confidence, bring the healing, bring the peace. We also want to pray for Garrett and Kim Hansen as Garrett's, both of his parents were killed in an automobile accident this weekend. And we want to bring them before you now and pray for our brother and sister in Christ. Meet their needs, feed their souls, be present with them as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. God, as they're in Des Moines this weekend, trying to wrap, trying to get put together all the details for the funerals and be the leader of that family, we just ask that you would be really gracious and kind to them. And Lord, as we come to sit under your word, I pray that we would have the right attitudes, uh, the right heart disposition, that we'd come open, we'd come hungry. 
we would cry out to you, say, Lord, feed us what we need. Lord, I need you to think through my mind and speak to my vocal cords that I am just a man. And so desperate in need of your Holy Spirit to lead and guide my thoughts and my words as I preach the word. Would you open ears and let us hear from our creator and savior this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. Okay, well, the apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Colossae, he said this, Jesus is the image of, of the invisible God. So Jesus is God in the flesh. If you want to know what God the Father looks like, look at Jesus. He says he's the firstborn of all creation. He says, for by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Here's what that verse means. God the Father created everything through God the Son. That's what it means when it says all things were created through Jesus. But the last part of that verse is sometimes missed. It says all things were created by Jesus for Jesus. That means that everything that has been created has been created to bring glory to Jesus. In, in other words, everything that Jesus created, he, gre- he created it in such a way that we would see that thing, we would taste that thing, we would experience that thing, and that thing wouldn't terminate in on itself. We wouldn't just say, thank God for that thing, but that thing, we could chase the glory of that thing back up to the creator and enjoy the creator because he gave us that good gift. In other words, Jesus created the sun so that it would shine on him and his ministry. One of the reasons that Jesus created the sun so that he could say, I am the light of the world. And we would have a sense of what he means by that. That Jesus is shining light on the world. Jesus is bringing truth into the world. The sun heats up the world. It's really, he really did a good job this past week, did he not? And we could say Jesus brings light and heat into our life. Just as the sun brings life, Jesus also brings life to us. Today, we're going to look at one of Jesus' most famous miracles or signs. It's the only miracle other than the resurrection that is written down for us in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Today, we're going to study the miracle of Jesus multiplying the loaves and fishes. And in the next two weeks, we're going to unpack Jesus' explanation of the sign. So this week, he does the sign. We're going to look at that. It's pretty simple. And then the next few weeks, we're going to study how Jesus expanded on the sign or what Jesus, he says, this is a sign pointing towards something. In other words, he didn't just create the bread and the fish to show off. Or to just feed people. He had a much deeper reason. Namely, to show people and all of us by extension that Jesus is the only one that can satisfy your soul's cravings. You are hungry for something and that something is Jesus. Let's open up our Bibles and study together. Chapter 6, verse 1. After this... Now, anytime you read after this in John, it doesn't mean like next scene, next day. All right? It's important to know that this, these are words of John's and it's his way of starting a new chapter or starting a new story in the life of Jesus. It doesn't mean it happened directly after the last scene. We know chapter five happened and now we're in chapter six, but there's some time that has taken place that's already Uh, happened in between these verses. We know that because in verse four, we learn that it's another Passover celebration. This is the second of three Passover celebrations that Jesus celebrates with his disciples. First one's already happened. Here we have the second one. The Passover was a yearly celebration that took place. And so this is now beginning the second year of Jesus's ministry. He's going to end his ministry in a third Passover celebration at the last supper. Let's keep reading. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him. Here's a key. Why were they following him? 
because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Remember, Jesus' ministry now, he's in the second year of his ministry, he's getting a reputation, he's performed many different signs, and people are starting to follow him. People are starting to be more and more attracted to him. His ministry is picking up speed and gaining momentum. His reputation of being a doer of powerful signs has begun to spread and thousands of people have begun to follow him to see what he can do and to be healed by him. But also remember that one of John's themes in writing the gospel of John is that I faith is not saving faith, right? In other words, Jesus didn't come to just give us what we want, He didn't come just to be a miracle worker so we could all clap and go, wow, isn't that neat? Look at this guy. Let's follow him. So Jesus here sees these large crowds and look what he does. Verse three, Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Jesus isn't really impressed with these large crowds. He isn't impressed with the type of faith that only shows up to get something physical from him. We've had people want wine from him. We've had people want healing from him. We've had people want water from him. And he wants the people to believe in him as the son of God and the only one who can save their souls, who can give them eternal life, not just an easier life. He wants them to know, I'm not just here to meet your physical needs. I'm here to meet your spiritual needs. I'm the only one who can cleanse you from the guilt that you have that you walk around with. I'm the only one that can take that stain of sin that's red like crimson and can make it white as snow. I'm the only one that can satisfy those deep longings in your soul that you think more money, more power, more sex, better relationships, bigger houses, faster cars, fancier things. You think those things will satisfy you and I'm here to tell you they won't. I'm the only one that can satisfy your deepest soul. Verse four. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Verse five. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him. Okay, pause. Lifting up his eyes. This should remind us of what happened in chapter four. Do you remember in John chapter four when Jesus, he, he, he met the woman at the well and he told, him, told her everything, you know, all of her past or whatever and she wants this water and he says, I give you living water and he meets her need that she was thirsty and she was trying to satisfy her soul's thirst by going from man to man to man to man and no man can satisfy her thirst. And so until she met this man, the man, the son of God, and he satisfied her longings. And what did she do? She runs off into town. She tells her story. They come and meet Jesus. And now you got the whole town coming out to meet Jesus. And the disciples are kind of annoyed by this big crowd. And what Jesus says to his disciples is he says, men, he says this, listen, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are are ripe with harvest. In other words, look up and look at the lost people around us, guys. Right? More than likely, these these disciples are like, what are these people doing? They are a hindrance to us. They are in our way. We've got big, fast, famous things to do. We've got important stuff to do. Don't bother the Son of God. All these people are coming to Jesus for living water. And Jesus is like, guys, wake up. You're seeing, but you're not seeing. These people are hungry. These people are thirsty. These people are lost souls. These people are sheep without a shepherd. These people need me. Look up and see with new eyes. See the world the way that I see the world. Lift up your spiritual eyes and see the lost that are all around you. Where here here we see in John chapter 6 that Jesus lives what he preaches. 
Jesus does what he tells us to do. Jesus perfectly obeys the Father. He is the image of the invisible God. God is seeking to save the lost. God God is pursuing lost sinners, and so is Jesus. Jesus' eyes are open to your needs. Whatever those needs are, he sees them, and he wants to meet them. So Jesus here, he says, he lifts up his eyes... Seeing then that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Okay, so Jesus, he, he does want to meet them spiritually, but he also sees they have real physical needs and he wants to provide for their physical needs. These people are poor, these people are hungry and they need to be fed. So Jesus asks a rhetorical question. Now listen, when Jesus asks you a question, he's not asking you a question to get an answer. Jesus knows the answer. Hey guys, these people are hungry. How should we feed them, right? He knows everything. He already knows, and we know that because of the next verse. He says this, verse six, He said this to test him, (laughs) for he himself knew what he would do. Well, Philip answers. Now, this is the analogy that I've been using or the metaphor that I've been using. When Jesus says something, it's latent with meaning. It means more than one thing. He's got deeper things he's talking about. When he's talking about living water, or he's talking about water, he's talking about physical water and spiritual water. When he's talking about food, he's talking about physical food and spiritual food. And so when he says, how can we feed these people? This, like almost everything else, The disciples, you're going to see a dullness in the disciples. A dullness that we all share. Can I tell you that? We all share this dullness, right? Jesus says, how can we feed them? And you're going to see, this goes over their head, all right? And look what Philip says. Philip answers him. Basically, here's what Philip says. We don't have the money. That's what Philip says, all right? Philip is following the guy who turned water into wine. Philip is following the guy who healed the person with his word. Philip is following this powerful guy and Philip's worried about money here, right? We don't have enough money. Look at what he says. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread, one denarii fed a family for one day. So that's a one day's labor, okay? So he's saying it would take eight, at least eight months of income to feed all of these people. We ain't got money like that. Jesus, I don't know what you're talking about would not be enough for each of them to get a little, just a snack, just a little morsel. Would, it would take eight months. All right? <clears throat> Verse eight. One of his disciples, Andrew, <clears throat> excuse me, Simon Peter's brother said to him, there, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Okay, we got to give some credit here to this disciple, right? Andrew, we got to give some credit because he's looking out and he sees, okay, there's thousands of people here. Jesus wants us to feed them. Philip says, we ain't got the money. At least least this guy goes, well, we do have this little packed lunch here. We got this little snack bag here. We got this little Lunchable going on over here. At least we got, but what is that? At least he's starting to recognize that there's something in Jesus that is more than meets the eye, Right? And so he draws attention to this little boy's packed lunch. Now, all of these details matter. There is a small boy whose mama had packed his lunch so that he could go and see Jesus. He was a poor boy. We know that because what was in his lunchbox? Now, do you remember those days in school? Everybody sits down at the lunch table, popping open, me popping open that He-Man lunchbox. Y'all probably don't know about that He-Man stuff, but popping over that He-Man lunchbox, that metal lunchbox that I brought to school, and everybody's peering in, and what do you got, and what do you got, and mine was always PB&J. Now, I wasn't upset about that. I love me some PB&J, especially if it's sat in that lunchbox for a little while, and maybe had an apple or something sitting on top of it, and that jelly was starting to squish through that bread. That Wonder Bread, that's how, that's a good PB&J right there. But we also know that when you open that lunchbox, you also look around and you're like, whoa, this guy's got a Lunchable? Man, you must be rich, dude. Pre-packaged food? Wow. Rich kids with the Lunchable. Or maybe they get the hot lunch, right? Well, we know that this kid was poor by what was in his lunch. 
This kid had barley loaves and two fish. More than likely, these fish were sardines. Barley, now we don't know this. We think barley, like barley today, who knows what barley, I don't know what barley is today. Well, I know what barley makes, right? But, <laughs> but barley, but this type of bread, this type of bread was mainly for the peasants. Today, it's, you know, you probably, you know, it's probably at natural grocers and it's for all the hipsters. I, I don't know. But back in that day, it was for the peasants, okay? Philo, a Hellenistic Jewish philosopher who lived in Alexandria in Egypt during this period, this is how he described barley. Barley is, quote, a food stuff of somewhat doubtful merit, suited for irrational animals and men in unhappy circumstances. He, in another place, they say, they, the Romans said, we feed barley to our horses and these guys actually eat it, all right? So barley is for the poorest of the poor. So Jesus here, he's doing all kinds of things. Jesus is so complicated, so complex, so dense. You can literally study him for the rest of your life and you're always going to learn something new about him. He's doing all kinds of things at the same time. He's going to feed a lot of people. He's going to minister to people. He's going to promise eternal life. He's going to do all this stuff. But he's also, take this out, he's also making this poor kid's day. Maybe making his life, right? He's about to take what the world saw as poor and pitiable and turn it into something absolutely amazing. Can you imagine the story this kid's going to have when he gets home and tells his mom, mom, you won't believe what Jesus did with that barley and those two sardines. You won't believe what Jesus did with that little bit that you prepared for me. You won't believe what Jesus did with it. In one sense, this is a great picture of what Jesus came to do in his life and ministry. He came to take what the world says is weak and foolish and turn it into something glorious. The ultimate reality of this, he, doesn't, he, won't, just take, he won't just take, you know, bad smelling bread and fish and turn it into a great meal, which he's going to do here. He's also going to take something way worse than bad smelling fish. He's going to take dead flesh and make it new. He's going to turn death itself into a gardener that when we are planted, when our bodies are planted in this, in this ground, he's going to call them forth into new resurrected bodies. That Jesus is going to take death itself and put it in his grave. This is what Jesus came to do. This is what Jesus is pre prefiguring here in this little miracle at the lunch table. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, have the people sit down. In other words, oh man, I love this. All we got is this little bit. All we got is this, you know, here, two fish and some stinky bread. That's all we got. And in a sense, Jesus is like, oh, it's enough. Sit down. Have everybody sit down. Isn't this what we do as Christians? We bring our gifts. We bring our talents. And listen, our gifts and talents in the grand scheme of things, most of us, they're not any better than a couple pieces of stinky bread, stale bread, and some, and some rotten fish, right? That's what we bring to God. But what can God do with our little offerings? What can God do with them? He can multiply them. So he says, oh, he basically says, oh, it's enough. Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now, when it says 5,000 men, this is not including the women and children. And so more than likely, there was between 10 and 15,000 people here listening to Jesus. Jesus is here on a mountain. He's speaking to a huge crowd without sound amplification. This is what he says, or this is what he does. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. So here's what Jesus does. He takes the bread. No doubt he breaks the bread. That's how he distributes it. First, he gives thanks to God for the bread. If he used the common Jewish form of thanksgiving, Jesus said something like this. Blessed Art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who bringest forth bread from the earth. So Jesus here 
gives glory to God. He blesses God. He doesn't just bless the food. He blesses God. He breaks it and he begins to distribute. He begins to give it away. So they eat the fish as much as they wanted. That's a key. As much as they wanted. Verse 12. And when they had eaten their fill, they, okay, so this isn't just communion where you come and you get a little piece. This is Jesus providing a meal. This is as people taking as much as they want, right? Anybody got, anybody got teenage boys, right? We're constantly like rationing out the food. Like you don't get three pieces before everybody else has been through the line, right? No, these people ate as much as they want. They piled it up. They ate their fill. Notice here, this is so easy to miss. Jesus is doing supernatural things. He's drawing people to himself. He's communicating spiritual truth. He wants people to go from death to life. He wants people to step away from the works of darkness and into the works of light. He wants people to have eternal life. He's calling forth spiritually dead people to give them life. He's doing all this amazing stuff. But it's easy in the midst of this to miss the practicality of this, the naturalness of this. We like to call this practicing gospel hospitality. That Jesus sees the people's physical needs. They are poor, they are hungry, and he feeds them. He doesn't just pray for them. He doesn't just save them. He doesn't just give them eternal life. He feeds them. But also look at the way he does it. He doesn't do it in a cheap and miserly way. Do you remember back when he turned water into wine, right? He didn't just, you know, turn that water into that bottom shelf box wine stuff because, you know, wine is expensive and hey, wine is wine and just give people some of that, some of that grape juice that's just, you know, yesterday was grape juice and today is wine, right? He doesn't do that. When he turns water into wine, the people that taste it say, this is the best wine I've ever had. Where does it come from? And the answer is, it came from Jesus. And there are a lot of Christians who have a problem with that verse. They don't like to see the Jesus who brings the best wine to the party. Well, the problem is there is no other Jesus. Any other Jesus is a figment of your imagination. So if you have a teetotaling Jesus, that's not the real Jesus. Jesus brought the good wine to the party. So to here, Jesus doesn't make just enough for everyone to get a bite or two. Now, I personally don't, I hate those nights at missional community when you are looking at the food on the counter and you are kind of counting the people in attendance and you're like, there's not, you're recognizing this in yourself, right? There's not enough food on the table. And so you're like, uh, this is what I do. I'm like, hey, hey, dude, just take a small little bit on that main. We got visitors here tonight. There's not going to be enough. So like, I hate those nights where you're looking and you're like, six people brought chips. We're in trouble, <laughs> Right? Like, you're, you're worried about that, you know? No, see, Jesus isn't like that. See, Jesus sh- shows us here what gospel hospitality looks like. When he brings the main, he makes it like my mama makes it, okay? I don't think my mom has ever produced a meal that was just enough. There is always a week's worth of leftovers at my mom's house after she cooks, okay? Well, that's how Jesus cooks as well. Everyone eats their fill as much as they wanted, and there's still 12 baskets of leftovers afterwards. Verse 12, and when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. Here's the lesson. Jesus doesn't just barely meet our needs. He goes above and beyond. When he comes into your life, he brings the better wine, he brings the water that never runs dry, and he brings the bread that never runs out, the bread that will satisfy your soul. And this meal testified to that fact. 
I've been walking with Jesus for over 20 years and I still haven't got to the end of him. Every, he, he satisfies my soul over and over and over. I discover new things about him. I discover new needs in my own self that I didn't know he was satisfying. Like I, I, I find out more and more how needy I am. And the more I learn of Jesus, walk with Jesus, study Jesus, the more I realize he really is the bread that satisfies. This world tells us more money Bigger houses, fancier cars, more friends, more social media followers, more influence at work, higher tax brackets. The world tells us that's what we need. That's what will satisfy us. And those who have tasted that bread should know better than anyone that it leaves us longing for more. It never satisfies. The eyes of man, the lust of man is never satisfied. We were built for something more. We were built to feast on God himself. Now, one of the realities of a person who meets the real Jesus is that they begin to become like him more and more and more. Jesus, as we worship him and follow him, he changes us, the scriptures say, from one degree of glory to the next into his image as we keep our gaze consist- consistently focused on him. The Bible tells us we become like what we worship. So when we worship this benevolent, abundant, overflowing Jesus, we become like this benevolent, overflowing, abundant Jesus. So one of the signs that you have personally met this real Jesus and that you are being changed by him is that now, like Jesus, you begin to lift up your eyes off of yourself and off of your needs and you begin to practice this type of gospel hospitality with others. You begin to give sacrificially and joyfully. You begin to bring the better wine to the party. You begin to bless your missional community, your neighbors, your friends with the good stuff. Now, anyone who spent much time with me personally has drank my bourbon, has smoked my cigars, and has ate my brisket. Why? Because God has given us all of these good gifts to enjoy. But we enjoy them not just as an end in themselves. We are meant to chase the rainbow of delight back up to an all-sufficient and glorious God from whom all these blessings flow. That's what we're meant to do. My wife and I, last night before bed, we were watching some show on Netflix. I think it's called The Great American Cook-Off or Barbecue or something like that. And we're sitting there and we're watching this, these, this smoked meat and doing all this kind of stuff. And then we're, we're hearing about this tri-tip steak. I'm like, a tri-tip steak? That is so amazing. And I'm like, why have I never had a tri-tip steak? And I started Googling. I'm like, most of the time in Iowa, the butchers don't cut the tri-tip. And I'm thinking, I want to try to try. The tri-tip's supposed to be good. I got to try a tri-tip. And I started thinking about God when he was creating that cow. He put that piece of meat right there. And he's like, wait till they discover that one. And I'm like, I want to I taste and see that the Lord is good right there. I, wanna, I want that piece of meat, right? I, I know we got some butchers in here and I need some help. I want that tri-tip, man. I want to see what that tastes like with a little bit of smoke around it, all right? With a little bit of seasoning. And I'm going to eat it and I'm going to taste it and I'm going to chase the rainbow of delight back up to God. But here's this. It's not going to end there. C.S. Lewis talks about enjoying things that they don't end just when we enjoy them and just when we give thanks to them. The enjoyment only ends when we've tasted, we've seen, we've thanked God for it, and then we've said, you gotta come try this. And we've shared it with another person. And then what do we wanna do? I want that person, like anybody that smokes meat, I know more than likely what you do, right? Put in a lot of, a lot of effort, you put in a lot of time, you get that baby just right, and you know the, the best part isn't when you taste it. The best part is when you look around and you go, how was it? How was it? Right? And they're like, oh, it was amazing. That's when the joy is complete. When we've enjoyed it, when we've worshiped God for it, 
and through it and when we've shared it with another person. That's what's going on here. This, many of us, man, I, I was raised in a church that ministry was always something very spiritual. It was always something, I mean, it was, yes, prayer meetings and it was prayer and it was, and it was going overseas and it was all of this stuff and all of that's good and all of that's true and all that's necessary. And yes, Jesus is conquering Satan's kingdom. He's putting the devil under his feet and Jesus is saving souls. But look at the simplicity of Jesus's ministry here. Jesus makes a good meal for 15,000 people, right? I'm reminded here of the words of Thorin to Bilbo in The Hobbit. As Thorin is about to die, he looks at the simple hobbit and says, quote, if more of us valued food and cheer and song above hoarded gold, it would be a merrier world. Listen, here's the reality. Most of us can't preach. Most of us won't ever lecture and debate. Most of us won't write books. But nearly all of us can make a good meal for someone. And if you can't make a good meal, they got DoorDash, y'all. You can order one. Right? We can cook a meal for someone who just had a baby. That's one of the things we do. Natural rhythm at Sacred City. When somebody has a baby, we want the missional community and people in the church to provide dinners for them for at least two weeks. We can provide meals for people going through difficult seasons. I've had many of you, as I've been putting in all these hours over at the building, working and, and on the remodel, that you've made meals for us. It's been a huge blessing to us and our family. When people are going through difficult seasons, as the Hansons are walking through the, the valley of the shadow of death right now, their missional community is going to come around them, and make meals and try to meet their needs. Like we can all invite our neighbors over for a cookout or, or s'mores. What does it take? It takes for us to lift up our eyes and see that the fields are white with harvest just like Jesus did. A Jesus-centered life will be a life lived with this type of gospel hospitality. It's our desire as we enter into our new building to bless our neighbors and all the contractors who've worked on the building with this type of gospel hospitality. One of the things that we want to do right away is we want all the guys to get together in our church, all the guys that smoke meat. We want to smoke meat. We want to throw a party on a Saturday morning and we want to invite everybody, all of our neighbors and all the contractors out just to experience a party and just to enjoy the good gifts that God's given us. If you live in that neighborhood, it's going to smell good that Saturday morning. Listen, this is a piece of what the abundant life in Jesus looks like. It looks like food. It looks like fellowship. It looks like invitation. It looks like meeting normal physical needs. Look at Jesus here. I want you to see this. This is not a boring Jesus. This is not a bland Jesus. This is not a Jesus who only cares about getting you to heaven when you die. This is a Jesus who lives the abundant life. He shows us what God is like. God is overflowing with happiness. God is overflowing with goodness. God is overflowing with blessing. And that's the way Jesus is. In these stories, you're going to notice Jesus is the one who's full. Jesus is the one who's beautiful. Jesus is the one who's overflowing. Everybody else is dull. See, they can't hear what he's saying. They can't see what he's doing. They can't understand what's actually going on. They can't see the world the way that he sees the world. They can't taste the joy of God the way he tastes it. And here Jesus is offering them something more than just food in their stomach. He's offering them a deep and abiding joy that's far more than just a free meal. But guess what? Once again, they're dull and they can't see what he's doing. Unbelief makes you dull. Faith makes you sharp. Faith makes you abundant. Faith, faith makes you a blessing. Look at verse 14. When the people saw the sign that he had done, okay, what was the sign? He, he gave them food. That was the sign. Jesus did a miracle. That's a sign. When they saw the sign, here's how they interpreted it. They said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Now, no doubt here, 
They are thinking of Deuteronomy 18 and Moses wrote of a prophet that would come and they're right. He is that prophet and he is the rightful king of the universe. But they miss something significant about Jesus, his life and ministry. Look at verse 15. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. All kind of stuff is going on right here. These people, they saw the sign. Jesus gave them what they wanted. He filled their stomachs with food. And now they want to come take him by force and make him king. What are they doing? What, what is actually happening right here? Why do they want to make him king? They want to make him king because he gave them free food. Now, this is just shows the fickleness of humanity. This is, I gotta be honest, right? They were under the thumb of Rome. They were subjugated to Rome. They saw Jesus as the prophet who would come. And they said, maybe this is the king that's finally going to put Rome under our feet. And he's going to give us national superiority. And this guy will give us what we want. It's not much different today, right? You'll give me free food? What, What will the government give me for free? I'll take whatever you'll give me free and I'll make you ruler. I'll make you king. So they go to take Jesus by force to make him king. Now, I got to be honest, if Jesus showed up right now, if, the, if we were back then and Jesus showed up right now, I would be doing the same thing. Looking at our perspective for, for president coming up and we got an election coming up, I'd be doing the same thing. I'm like, dudes, let's go take Jesus by force because we need Jesus as president, okay? I would probably be doing the same thing, but it actually shows their dullness. They don't understand who Jesus really is. Jesus didn't come just to give them a, fi- a free lunch. When I was in business school, my undergrad degree, we've, one of the first lessons we learned in business was there is no such thing as a free lunch. There's always strings attached. Here's the idea. Jesus didn't come to earth just to fill their stomachs, just to meet our physical needs, just to be an earthly king. This meal was meant to point to their deeper and truer spiritual needs as well. They didn't just need a king who would feed them and defeat the Romans. They didn't just need a prophet who would point forward to God. They needed a savior, a savior. They needed a sacrifice who could make their sins, though red like scarlet, white as snow. And the only one who could be all of that, could be all that they needed down in their souls, was standing right in front of them and they couldn't see him. In other words, Jesus was the wrong kind of king for them. He was a king whose glory would come on the other side of a cross. He was a king who could lead them out of their slavery to sin and into a life lived for the glory of God. He wasn't interested in just making Israel great again and defeating the Romans. He was about to die for the sins of the world and open up new and eternal life for anyone who could see and believe in him. Jesus Jesus was so much more than what they were looking for. Question is for us today, do we have eyes to see him? Guys, it's, it's a natural inclination to put all of our hope in the next political ruler. It's a natural inclination to find like-minded people and to put our hope in man, right? Man will always fail us. Hey, civil rulers are important. Governing authorities are important. We've got a political role to play. All of that, I'm not negating any of that, right? But it is true that Jesus Christ is the only answer that can save our rotting nation. That's it. We have to put our, our trust and our hope in him. Can you see him? Can you see him? Do you want him? Do you see Jesus as better than anything else in this life? And if you don't, if you do, 
Put your faith in him this morning. That means believe on him as Lord and Savior. And if you don't, ask God to change your eyes. Ask God to change your heart. We sang that song this morning because that's the reality of the life lived with Christ. We say, yes, Jesus, you're better than everything, but we also have to say, man, I've chased after other things this week, so Jesus, help my unbelief. I want to believe that you're better. Help me believe it, Jesus. And one of the ways Jesus helps Christians believe that he is true and better, that he is better than anything else, he's what's going to satisfy our soul, one of the ways he does that, listen, folks, is every single week, Jesus meets us here in the Lord's Supper and feeds us. Okay? Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, he gave it. At the Last Supper, at the last Passover, Jesus takes the bread, he breaks it, he gives it to his disciples, and he says, take this and eat. This is my body given for you. And we're told that we are to eat this every time we come together to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He takes the cup and he says, this, so when he took the bread, that was meant to point back to the lamb, the Passover lamb that was shed. And now he's saying, no, 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 this points to me. I am the Passover lamb. I am the one who'll be broken on the cross to forgive your sins once and for all. Eat it and remember me. Drink the cup that's the cup of the new covenant, the new covenant that tells us we're not justified by our works, we're justified by the works of Jesus, the obedience of Jesus in our place, that we get the righteousness of Christ put on us by sheer grace. And when we eat and when we drink, listen, Jesus meets us here and feeds us in ways that we can't even understand. We can't even understand. He spiritually feeds our souls. He matures our faith. He sanctifies us. He makes us more like the sun. That's one of the reasons the Sunday gathering is so important and we take the Lord's Supper every single week is Jesus is feeding us. Jesus is nourishing us with his body and his blood this morning. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, believe in him this morning and take Christ. And if you have put your faith in Christ, come and take the supper and feed on Jesus Christ this morning. And I pray that he would change us in such a way that we go out here and we become more like him, practicing gospel hospitality with those God brings into our path. We pray for us. Jesus, you are our supernatural king. But you also, man, you serve us in such practical ways. You meet our every need and we thank you for it. I know that you are here by your spirit this morning and you're feeding people, you're, you're saving people, you're taking their sin upon yourself and you're giving them eternal life and I thank you for that. Lord God, we also ask you to meet us here as you promised to in the supper and feed our faith, strengthen our souls. We want more of you and less of us. We want to be made more like you so that our neighbors would experience the kindness of Jesus, the hospitality of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. We want to be people like that. Would you do that work in us for your glory and our joy and the good of our city, Lord? In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen.